Chapter 9, Part 1 of The Star of Gettysburg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Star of Gettysburg by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter 9, Chancellorsville, Part 1. Harry and Dalton sat down on a tiny hillock, and waited while the two generals carried on their long conference, to which now and then they summoned McLaws, Anderson, Pender, and other division or brigade commanders. The two lads even then felt the full import of that memorable night. Nature herself had stripped away all softness, leaving only sternness and desolation for the terrible drama which was about to be played in the wilderness. The night was dark, and to Harry's imaginative mind, the forest turned into some vast stretch of the ancient primitive world. Naturally cheerful and usually alive, with the optimism of youth, the air seemed to him that night to be filled with menacing signals. Often he started at familiar sounds. The clank of arms to which he had been so long used sent a chill down his spine. As the campfires died, the gloom that hung over the wilderness became for him heavier and more ominous. "'What's the matter, Harry?' asked Dalton, catching a glimpse of his face in the moonlight. "'I don't know, George. I suppose this war is getting on my nerves. I must be looking too much into the future. Anyway, I'm oppressed tonight, and I don't know what it is that's oppressing me so much.' "'I don't feel that way. Maybe I'm becoming blunted, but the generals are talking a long time.' I suppose they have need to do a lot of talking, George. You know how small our army is, and we can't rush Hooker behind the strong entrenchments they say he has thrown up. Oh, if only Longstreet and his corps were back with us. Well, Longstreet and his men are not here, and we'll have to do the best we can without them. Hold up your head, Harry. Lee and Jackson will find a way. While Lee and Jackson and their generals conferred, another conference was going on three miles away at the Chancellor House in the depths of the wilderness. Hooker, a brave man, who had proved his courage more than once, was bewildered and uneasy. He lacked the experience in supreme command in which his great antagonist Lee was so rich. The field telegraph had broken down just before sunset, and his subordinates, Sedgwick and Reynolds, brave men too, who had divisions elsewhere, were vague and uncertain in their movements. Hooker did not know what to expect from them. Some of the generals, chafing at retreat before a force which they knew to be smaller than their own, wanted to march out and attack in the morning. Hooker, suddenly grown prudent, awed perhaps by his great responsibilities, wished to contract his camp and build entrenchments yet stronger. He compromised at last amid varying councils, and decided to hold his present entrenched lines along their full length. His gallant officers on the extended right and left were indignant at the thought of withdrawing before the enemy, sure that they could beat him back every time. But there were bolder spirits at the southern headquarters, three miles away. Lee and Jackson always saw clearly, and were always able to decide upon a course. Besides, their need was far more desperate. The southern army did not increase in numbers. Victories brought a few new men to its standards. Winning, it held its own, and losing, it lost everything. Before it stood the Army of the Potomac, 
outnumbering it two to one and behind that army stood a great nation ready to pour forth more men by the hundreds of thousands and more money by the hundreds of millions to save the union harry leaning against a bush fell into a light doze from which dalton roused him by and by but the habit of war made him awake fully and instantly every faculty was alive he arose to his feet and saw that lee and jackson were just parting a faint moon shone over the wilderness revealing but little of the great army which lay in its thickets i fancy that the plan which will give us either victory or defeat is arranged said dalton but neither harry nor dalton was called and by and by they sank into another doze they were awakened toward morning by sherburne who stood before them holding his horse by the bridle the horse was wet with foam and it was evident he had been ridden far and hard what is it asked harry springing to his feet i've been riding with general stuart replied sherburne who looked worn and weary but nevertheless exultant how many miles we've ridden i'll never know but we've been along the whole northern front and along their wings with the help of fitz lee we've discovered their weak point the northern left fortified in the thickets is impossible we'd merely beat ourselves to pieces against it but their right has no protection at all that is no trenches or breastworks i thought you boys might be wanted presently and as i saw you sleeping here i've awakened you look down there and you'll see something that i think the northern army has caused to dread harry and dalton looked at a little open space in the center of which lee and jackson sat having met for another talk each on an empty cracker box taken from a heap which the northern army had left behind when it withdrew the day before the generals faced each other and two or three men were standing by one of them was a major named hotchkiss whom harry knew harry and dalton did not hear the words said but one of those present subsequently told them much that was spoken at this last and famous conference a man named welford had recently cut a road toward the northwest through the wilderness in order that he might haul wood and iron ore to a furnace that he had built he had certainly never dreamed of the far more important purpose to which this road would be put but he had been found at his home by hotchkiss the major and zealous for the south he had given him the information that was of so much value he had also volunteered to guide the troops along his road and he had marked it on a map which the major carried what is your report major hotchkiss asked general lee the major took a cracker box from the heap put it between the two generals and spread his map upon it pointing to welford's road the two generals studied it attentively and then lee asked jackson what he would suggest jackson traced the road with his finger and replied that he would like to follow it with his whole corps and fall upon the northern flank he suggested that he leave his commander with only a small force to make a noisy demonstration in the northern front while jackson was executing his great turning movement lee considered it only a few moments and agreed then he wrote brief and crisp instructions and when he finished general jackson rose to his feet his face illumined with eagerness he was absolutely confident that he would succeed in the daring deed he was about to undertake it's over said dalton whatever it is we start on it at once jackson beckoned to all his staff and soon harry dalton and the others were busy carrying orders for a great march that jackson was about to begin 
many of these orders related to secrecy. The ranks were to be kept absolutely close and compact. If anybody straggled, he was to receive the bayonet. The Invincibles were in the vanguard. Harry and Dalton were near, behind Jackson. Harry could speak now and then with his friends. It's the second Manassas over again, isn't it, Harry? said St. Clair. If it is, why do we seem to be marching away from the enemy? I don't know any more than you do, but I take it that when Stonewall Jackson draws back from the enemy, he merely does it in order to make a bigger jump. We all know that. The dark South Carolinian, Bertrand, was riding just in front of them. Now he turned suddenly and said, St. Clair, we're about to go into a great battle, and I've felt for some time that I provoked the quarrel with you. I'm sorry, and I apologize. St. Clair looked astonished, but he was not one to refuse so manly an advance. That's so, Captain, we did have a quarrel, he said, but I had forgotten it. It's not necessary for anybody to apologize, where there's no rancor. He took Bertrand's hand in a hearty grasp, which Bertrand returned with equal vigor. Then the captain pushed his horse and rode a little ahead of them. Now that was a singular thing, said Dalton, who came of a deeply religious family, and to my mind it was predestined. Predestined? Yes, predestined, decreed. Captain Bertrand is going to die. He'll be killed in the coming battle. He was moved to make up the quarrel which he forced on St. Clair, because of his approaching fate, although he does not know of it himself. Come, come, George, so much battle has keyed your mind too highly. But Dalton shook his head and remained resolute in his belief. Harry's confidence returned with action and the glorious flush of a May morning. They had started after dawn. A splendid sun was rising in a sky of satin blue. It even gilded the somber foliage of the wilderness, and the spirits of all the men in the great corps rose. Jackson stopped presently with his staff and let some of the regiments file past him. General Lee was awaiting him there, and the two talked briefly. Harry saw that both were firm and confident. It was rare with him, but Jackson's face was flushed and his eyes shining. He lingered for only a few moments, and then rode on with his column. Lee's eyes followed him, but he and his great lieutenant had spoken together for the last time. Now they settled into silence, save for the marching sounds, of which the most dominant was the rumbling of the artillery. But all the men in the great column knew that they were embarked upon some mighty movement. Very few asked themselves what it was, nor did they care. They put their faith in the great leader who had always led them to victory. He could lead them anywhere he chose. A light wind arose, and the bushes and scrub forest of the wilderness moved gently like the surface of a lake. But that forest, as dense as ever, extended on all sides of them, and hid the tens of thousands who marched in its shade. Harry presently heard the rolling of artillery fire, and the distant crash of rifles behind them. But he knew that it was Lee with the minor portion of his army making the demonstration in Hooker's front, deceiving him into the belief that he was about to be attacked by the whole southern army, while Jackson with his main force was making the wide circuit under the cover of the wilderness, in order to fall like a thunderbolt upon his flank. Harry admired the daring of his two leaders, and at the same time he trembled with apprehension. They had split their force, already far smaller, in the face of the foe. Suppose that the foe, with his army of splendid fighters, 
should come suddenly from his entrenchments and attack either division. Surely the northern scouts and spies were in the thickets. So great a movement as this could not escape their attention. It would be impossible for a large army to pass on that journey of many miles around Hooker, and not one of the hundred thousand men he had in the wilderness bring him word of it. They might be discovered by one of the balloons, and Harry strained his eyes towards the far Rappahannock. He saw a black speck floating in the sky, which he thought to be one of the balloons, and he felt a little dread. But in a moment he realized that Jackson's army was as completely hidden by the wilderness from any such possible observer as if a blanket lay over it. Then he dismissed all thoughts of balloons and rode on in silence beside Dalton. Now he listened to the roar behind them. It had the violence of a great battle, but he noticed that the sounds neither advanced nor retreated. He smiled a little. Lee was still amusing Hooker, but it was a grim amusement. A long time passed, although the army could not move fast in the wilderness. Its march was steady. The roar of Lee's attack had become subdued, but Harry knew that the effect was due only to distance. His trained ear told him that the demonstration in Hooker's front, instead of decreasing, had increased in vigor. It was assuming the proportions of a real battle, and with thickets and forests to obscure sight, Hooker might well believe that the whole southern army was yet in front of him. The onward march had become rhythmic now. It was to Harry like the regular throbbing of a pulse. The tread of many men, the beat of horses' hoofs, and the clanking of guns melted into one musical note. The sun crept slowly up, gilding thickets and forests with pure gold. The sky was still an unbroken blue, save for the little white clouds that floated in its bosom. The breeze of that May morning was wonderfully crisp and fresh. It came tingling with life to the thousands, so many of whom were about to die. It seemed to Harry as they went on through the thickets of the wilderness that the Union scouts would never discover them. But northern troops on an open eminence of Hazel Grove had seen a long column moving away through the thickets and made report of it to the northern generals. But these leaders did not understand it. They had not grasped the great daring of Jackson's march. They believed that Lee was merely extending his lines, but an hour before noon, a battery opened fire from a hill upon the marching Confederate column. Harry and Dalton heard shrapnel whizzing over their heads. After the first involuntary shiver, they regained the calm of youthful veterans and rode on in silence. But the fire of the northern artillery was damaging, even at great range. Shells and shrapnel sprayed showers of steel over the column. Men were killed and others wounded. As they could not turn back to fight those troublesome cannon, the column turned farther away and forced a road along a new path. It seemed now that Jackson's march was discovered, and that the whole northern army might press in between him and Lee. Harry's heart rose in his throat, and he looked at his general, but Jackson rode calmly on. The curiosity of the Union generals in regard to that marching column increased. Several of them appealed to Hooker to let them advance in force and see what it was. Sickles was allowed to go out with a strong division, but instead of reaching Jackson, was confronted by a portion of Lee's force, thrown forward to meet him, and the battle was so fierce that Sickles was compelled to send for help. A formidable force came and drove the southern division before it, but the vigilant Jackson, informed by his scouts of what was happening behind him, 
turned his rear guard to meet the attack, and Sickle was driven off a second time with great loss. Then Jackson's men quickly rejoined him, and they continued their march, the vanguard, in fact, never having stopped. Harry took no part in this, but from a distance he saw much of it. Once more he admired the surpassing alertness and vigor of Jackson, who never seemed to make a mistake, a man who was able while on a great march to detach men for the help of his chief, while neither ceasing to pursue his main object. The northern forces, although they had fought bravely, retreated, and the great movement that was going on remained hidden from them. The gap between Lee and Jackson was growing wider, but they did not know it was there. Hooker's retreat with his great army into the wilderness had given his enemies a chance to befog and bewilder him. Harry's supreme confidence returned. All things seemed possible to his chief, and once more they were marching, unimpeded. It was now much past noon, and they turned into a new road, leading north through the thickets. It scarcely seems possible that we can pass along a great army in this way, said Dalton. But Harry, I'm beginning to believe the general will do it. Of course he will, said Harry. It's old Jack's chief pleasure to do impossible things. He leaves the possible to ordinary men. See him? He didn't even stop to look back while our rear guard returned to help drive off the Yankees. The sun was near the zenith, and the afternoon grew warm. They had come upon hard, dry paths, and under the tread of the army great clouds of dust arose, but it did not float high in the air, the thick boughs of the trees and bushes catching it. But as it hovered so close to the ground, it made the breathing of the soldiers difficult and painful. It rasped their throats, and soon they began to burn with the heat. Many fell exhausted beside the paths, but they were helped by their comrades, or put into wagons, and the long column of steel never ceased to wind onward. Near the middle of the afternoon, when they were about to cross the western extension of the plank road, a young cavalry officer galloped up and rode straight for Jackson. It was Fitzhugh Lee, whose services were great at Chancellorsville. His glowing face showed that he had brought news of great importance. As he saluted, General Jackson checked his horse, and Harry heard his general ask, You bring news. What is it? I do, sir, responded young Lee eagerly. I have something to show you. A great northern force is only a short distance away, and it does not suspect your advance at all. If you will come with me to the crest of a little hill here, I can show them to you. Jackson never hesitated a moment, signing to Harry to follow him, evidently needing to use him as a courier, if need arose. The three then turned and rode through the bushes toward the hill, and Harry's heart beat so hard that it gave him an actual physical pain, when he looked down on the sight below. He glanced at Jackson, and saw that his face was flushed and his eyes glowing. They were gazing upon a great northern force, which was to protect Hooker's right, its first lines were only three or four hundred yards away. There were breastworks and other lines of defense, running far through the forest, positions that were formidable, but not manned at this moment by riflemen or cannoneers. Rifles were stacked neatly behind the entrenchments, extending in a long line as far as they could see. Thousands of soldiers were sitting on the grass and among the bushes, some asleep, some playing games, while others were cooking, reading newspapers sent from the north, and some were singing. It was a picture of idleness and ease in a camp, 
and not one among them suspected that thirty thousand veterans of the south led by stonewall jackson himself were within rifle shot hidden under the vast canopy of the wilderness harry drew in a deep breath and then another it was extraordinary unbelievable but it was true he looked again at jackson and saw that his eyes were still burning with blue fire the general gazed for five minutes but never said a word then he turned and rode down the hill and swiftly the word was passed through the army that they soon would be upon the enemy what is it harry asked st clair eagerly as harry rode along the lines with a message for a general for whom he was looking they're just over there replied harry nodding toward his right and they don't know we're here they don't even dream it and lee and jackson have got em in the trap again looks like it then harry was gone with his message he bore other messages and like most of those he had borne earlier their burden was secrecy and silence he never forgot any detail of that memorable day years afterwards he could shut his eyes at any time and see the eve of chancellorsville in all its vivid colors thirty thousand southern troops lying hidden in the thickets general jackson followed by himself and two other aides riding upon the hill again and taking one more look at the unsuspecting enemy below the spreading out of the cavalry like a curtain between them and howard's corps to keep even a single stray northern picket or scout from seeing the mortal danger at hand and then jackson dismounting and seated on a stump writing to lee that he was on the enemy's flank and would attack as soon as possible harry was in fear lest the general should choose him to carry back the dispatch as he wished to stay with the corps and see what happened but the duty was assigned to another man confidence meanwhile reigned in the union army in the morning hooker had ridden around his whole line and cheers received him as he came scouts had brought him word that jackson was moving and he had taken note of the encounter with the rear guard of stonewall's force but as that force continued its march into the deep forest and disappeared from sight the brave and sanguine hooker was confirmed in his opinion that the whole southern army was retreating his belief was so firm that he sent a dispatch to sedgwick commanding the detached force near fredericksburg to pursue vigorously as the enemy was fleeing in an effort to save his train while hooker was writing this dispatch the fleeing enemy led by the greatest of lee's lieutenants lay in full force on his flank almost within rifle shot preparing with calmness and in detail for one of the greatest blows ever dealt in war truly no soldiers ever deserved higher praise than those of the army of the potomac who often misled and mismanaged by second-rate men grew better and better after every defeat and never failed to go into battle zealous and full of courage it seemed almost incredible to harry who had twice looked down upon them that the whole union right should remain ignorant of jackson's presence twenty-eight regiments and six batteries strong the northern troops were now getting ready to cook their suppers and there was much laughter and talk as they looked around at the forest and wondered when they would be sent in pursuit of the fleeing enemy six of the regiments were composed of men born in germany or the sons of germans drawn from the great cities of the north little used to the forests and thickets and having the stiffness of germans on parade they were at the first point of exposure and they were certainly no match for the formidable foe who was creeping nearer and nearer not all the country here was in forest there were some fields a little wooden cottage on a hill 
and in the fields a small house of worship called the wilderness church it was the little church of shiloh and the drunkard church of antietam over again harry and dalton in the front of the lines often saw the gleam of northern guns and northern bayonets through the foliage but there was still no sign that any one in the northern right flank dreamed of their presence evidently the unconscious thousands there thought that all chance of battle had passed until the morrow the sun was already going down the western heavens and behind them in the wilderness the first shadows were gathering jackson's troops were filled with confidence and exultation as they formed for battle among the trees and bushes they too talked and with the freedom of republican troops who fight all the better for it they chafed the young officers especially the aides as they passed harry received the full benefit of it sit up straight in the saddle sonny don't dodge the bullets you haven't told the yanks we're coming will me that hoss if you get shot i always did like a bay boss tell old hooker that we just had to arrange a surprise party for him tell him to make way there in front we want to get into the fuss before it's all over tell old jack i'm here and that he can begin the battle harry smiled and sometimes chafed back they were boys together most of the troops in either army were very young he recognized that all this talk was the product of exuberant spirits and officers much older than he chafed in a like manner took it in the same way but as they drew nearer the orders that all noise should cease was given and officers were ready to enforce them but there was little need for sternness the soldiers themselves understood and obeyed they were as eager as the officers to achieve a splendid triumph and it remains a phenomenon of history how a great army came creeping creeping within rifle shot of another and its presence yet remained unknown the southern lines were now stretched for a long distance through the forest cutting across a turnpike down which the muzzles of four heavy guns pointed the cavalry not far away were holding back their magnificent horses harry saw sherburne on their flank nearest to him and a smile of triumph passed between them off in the forest the strong division of a p hill was advancing the sound of their coming audible to the south but not to the north for an hour and a half the formation of the southern army went on despite the danger of discovery present every moment jackson was resolved to perfect his preparations for the attack he was calm methodical and showed no emotion now however much he may have felt it harry rode back and forth sometimes with him and sometimes alone carrying messages he expected every instant to hear the crack of some northern scout's rifle and his shout of alarm but the incredible not only happened it kept on happening there was not a single northern skirmisher in the bushes the only sounds that came from their camp to the southern scouts were the clatter of dishes and the laughter of youths who knew that no danger was near End of chapter 9, part 1